31st of January 1984, Sydney Central Business District. A 35-year-old gunman is going to hold up three banks in a row. This day will be Hacky Atahan's Dog Day Afternoon. I'm your host Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Islanders, how you going this week? We have a bank robbery that didn't go to plan. I was listening to my podcast mates, Aaron and Justin from Gen Y, and their latest episode, they did the North Hollywood shootout. That was a bungled bank robbery, and I thought that I should bring you a homegrown Aussie bank robbery for a change. If you've seen the 1975 movie Dog Day Afternoon starring Al Pacino, This robbery will probably remind you a little bit of it. If you haven't seen the movie, it is a must watch. And actually, I watched it last night. It's January the 31st, 1984. It's just before 3pm. It's a warm summer's day. And on a ferry from Manly to Circular Quay is a bloke called Hucky Adahan, or Tim to his friends. And he's on his way to the bank. Well, several banks, actually. Little, he, little did he know that he would be the star in his own dog day afternoon. So who is Hacky, or as I said, his friends knew him, Tim Adahan? Well, he was born in 1949 in Turkey, son of the Istanbul chief of police, and immigrated with his wife and child in 1970. He was a gambler, and as most gamblers find out, to make a small fortune, you need to start off with a big one. He had a takeaway food shop on Parramatta Road, Auburn, but his heavy gambling ruined the business and he ended up driving taxis to make ends meet. In January 1982, he was convicted of possessing an unlicensed pistol, of possessing a shortened firearm and of causing malicious injury to property. He was sentenced to a three-year good behaviour bond. Eventually, his wife had had enough and they were divorced in December 1983. She moved to Queensland with their only daughter. Adahan saw the wealthy around him and wanted what they had, but rather than work hard for it, he felt it was his to take. On March the 11th, 1983, the ANZ Bank at William Street, East Sydney, was robbed of $7,728, and although the perp was caught on security camera wearing a cap, moustache and sunglasses, Police were unable to identify him. Tim Adahan had a new occupation, one he hoped would get him the things in life he desperately wanted. He was now a bank robber. With the haul of $7,728 in his first robbery, and back in the day that was a reasonable amount, but Adahan needed more, so he needed to pump those numbers up. They were just rookie numbers. Now his list of robberies. 
Now, I don't have every detail from each of these robberies, but from what I could get, here we go. So we had the first robbery on the 11th. Now we go to March the 28th. Adaham robbed the Westpac Bank in New South Head Road, Edgecliff, and he got away with $7,291. Now on the 29th of April, Adaham really stepped it up. He robbed the ANZ Bank at Bondi Beach Road. That was $3,753. He then went on to rob three more banks that day, for a total of $29,173. In May of 1983, he robbed one bank. I don't have much detail on that. In June, he had three robberies, including June 23rd, the Westpac branch at 280 Castle Ray Street, Sydney. He got $13,006. He was wearing dark glasses on that, on that day. On July 27, there was one robbery at the Westpac Bondi Beach. Again, just wearing dark glasses. There he got $13,404. In October, there was one robbery. I have no detail. In November, there were two robberies, including the November 8th Westpac branch at Balgala robbery. That netted him $13,487, and he was just dressed in summer casuals. In December of that year, there were two more robberies. Again, I don't have any detail on those. And in January 1984, that was early, he had one more robbery. So with a steady income from all these robberies, Adaham was able to rent a 15-floor luxury apartment in Marshall Street, Manly, called the Carillion. Some people might know it. It had a panoramic view over Little Manly Cove. It was also reported that he had another rented apartment in Paddington. He had a flashy car and a young girlfriend. So now we get back to that beautiful summer's day in January 1984. As Adahan boarded the Manly Ferry to the city, it was a sunny 26 degrees Celsius or 79 degrees Fahrenheit. And with the salt spray splashing up from the bow, Adahan had plans to not only rob one bank, but three. When the ferry docked at Circular Quay, Sydney, just before 3pm, it was a short five-minute walk up to Macquarie Place, where the first bank, the ANZ Bank, was located. Adaham was wearing a suit, sunglasses, a wig and a hat. He carried a briefcase. It just looked like a typical businessman walking around the city. After storming the ANZ Bank, brandishing a .32 pistol just after 3pm, Adahan left with $8,524. Minutes later, he walked across to the State Bank in Macquarie Place as well and repeated his show. Here, he was able to get away with $8,119, but now, not only had the alarm at the first bank been set off, but also at the second, and police were converging on the Macquarie Place area. A couple of local police walking in the area were alerted by a state bank employee that followed Adahan out of the bank. They followed him as he started running down towards George Street. Adahan knew he was spotted and ditched his jacket and hat. And then as he reached George Street, just a minute or so from the banks he just robbed, he turned right and then entered the Commonwealth Bank at 200 George Street. He was agitated as he jumped the counter into the office area 
and took control of the employees and the one customer in the bank by showing his rifle. Still, one of the employees were able to hit the duress alarm. I think that was the manager. But that didn't really matter as there was already multiple police cars pulling up out the front. Soon Tactical Response Group, or TRG, and the Special Weapons and Operations Section, SWOS or SWAS, joined the local police and were able to surround and block the entryway to the bank. Adahan, who at this stage was still forcing the bank manager, Graham Stewart, to stuff rolls of $50 notes into his briefcase, he realised he was trapped. The total of the haul from the three banks now stood at 54,756. But his luck had run out. As he was armed and there were many employees and a customer inside the bank, police held off and tried to negotiate with Adahan. The streets were blocked off, cars were abandoned and the crowds were kept at a safe distance. Now this was almost impossible on a busy weekday afternoon in the city. It wasn't long before all the news crews were on site. This was great TV. Snipers took up position across the road at a building site while negotiators tried to contact him by phone. At first, Adahan ignored the calls, but soon he told police he wanted a car and a helicopter, just like in the movie Dog Day Afternoon. In fact, it's thought that Adahan was at this stage inspired by the movie in planning how to get out of the mess he was now in and he even mentioned that to the bank manager. He said, this is just like the movies, isn't it? During negotiations, Adahan fired two shots from his pistol which created panic amongst the staff. After about an hour, he released four female bank staff one by one as they were getting upset upset and annoying him. One of the female bank staff was six months pregnant. Now, Adahan then let one male customer go while he kept five male staff as hostages. During the hostage situation, a bank staff member answered a call from reporters from the Australian Associated Press telling them that the situation was terrible and he feared for his life. Adahan then told him to hang up and the staff member told the journalist, I'm sorry, I can't talk anymore, we're not allowed to. This hostage drama had now been going on for a couple of hours and at around 5.30pm, Adahan was seen gathering up hostages and he made his way to the front doors of the bank. He had five hostages in total, all around surrounding him with their hands on his head. At the front was the bank manager, Graham Stewart, with Adahan holding the pistol right up against his head. They all slowly shuffled out of the bank, and if you have seen Dog Day Afternoon, it looks identical. And they went around the corner to a set of stairs to the back of the bank into Underwood Street. Now, if you know this area, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's like you go out, and it's a set of stairs between the big buildings and it just comes out to the back. Now it comes out to uh, Underwood Street and now they all walk slowly. So this group of six people, five surrounding Adahan, they're all walking slowly down Underwood Street 
and then they turn right into Pitt Street. Now, I'm sorry for people who don't know the area, but if you follow along with, say, Google Maps, you'll actually see where we're going. All right, let's keep going. They just turned into Pitt Street. Now, police were frantically trying to get people out of the way, to run out of the area and to abandon their cars. They'd now lost control of the situation. They're trying to get people, just get out of the car, get out of here, he's going to shoot you. The hostage group then walked along Bridge Street and near the Gresham Street intersection. Adahan found an abandoned Datsun 180B with the keys still in the ignition. I mean, if you're going to run out of your 180B, you're really not going to care if you leave the keys in it. You're probably hoping it's going to get stolen. Anyway, all the time, police negotiators are pleading with him on bullhorns to give up. Now, the 180B, the Datsun 180B, it's not a big car at all, but it had keys in it, so it's going to have to do. Adahan told the Commonwealth Bank manager, Graham Stewart, to get in the driver's seat And then Adahan got in the middle between the driver's and passenger seat. One hostage sat next to him in the passenger seat and the other three sat in the back. Now, a Datsun 180B is a shitty little car. And being a manual, Adahan had to straddle in the centre area between the front seats. Now... (laughs) I'm sure we've all done this at some some stage, had too many people in the car. So it's almost comical, all these big blokes jammed in this tiny little Datsun. Anyway, at, at a hand, directed Graham Stewart to drive east. Now, apparently, according to the TV show, uh, which I'll tell you about at the end, Stewart, he'd never driven a manual before, but he seemed to be doing all right. So he was told to drive through police roadblocks out of the city towards Bondi. Slowly, they drove up Gresham Street and Bent Street. They crossed Macquarie Street onto the Carl Expressway. They were followed at this stage by a swarm of police cars. There were police helicopters, there's news helicopters and news vehicles. And even police boats would join in the crazy car chase later on. And at a hand, he was getting off on this. He'd robbed many banks over the previous year and had not been caught. He was able to live an easy, luxurious life doing that, but no one really knew about it except for himself. Now, he had hundreds of police, all the TV network news crews, thousands of people watching the event live on TV, and he was the star. They then headed south onto Palmer Street and southeast onto Moore Park Road into Oxford Street. He then turned north to do a big loop through Bondi Junction, Waverley, Bondi, Bellevue Hill, and then he turned into William Street through King's Cross and Woolloomooloo. He then got back onto the Carl Expressway heading for the Harbour Bridge. Now, police tried to block his way as he headed towards George Street, but Adahan told the driver to turn up Pitt Street and he headed to Circular Quay and again onto the Carl Expressway. The procession then turned back towards the Harbour Bridge and made its way into Military Road Cremorne. 
as they entered Spit Road towards the Spit Bridge, which is a what's called a bascule bridge over Middle Harbour. Now, that opens up like a drawbridge to let yachts with high master pass. Now, police ordered it to open. Adham screamed at police to close the bridge or he would shoot the hostages. They closed the bridge and the procession continued towards Manly Cove. Now, all ferries had been ordered away from the wharf in case Adahan tried to escape using them. The car travelled to Marshall Street near Adahan's apartment. Now, he ordered the car stopped and he told one of the hostages to get out, call his girlfriend, that was 23-year-old Sharon Oliver, he called her from a public phone box and told her to meet him at Manly. The hostage then got back in the car. By this time, crowds were forming on the sides of the road as this was being broadcast live. As people watched and saw that the procession was approaching, they'd be running outside and cheering Adahan on. Some of them were holding like glasses of wine. This was the most exciting thing that had happened to them for a while. At Queenscliff, Adahan ordered the driver to make a big loop around Greycliff, Cavill and Crown Streets, then made a loop within a loop to emerge on Greycliff Street again. So he, in the end, he actually intersected this great big long 50-car procession by doing this loop. It's sort of like, you know, that snake game that used to be on Nokia phones years ago. Well, yep, he did the big loop and boom. Anyway, they approached the pickup spot at Queenscliff Beach where they got Sharon. Now, she was waiting for Adahan on the side of the road as planned. The car pulled over. Adahan left, let one hostage go to make room for his girlfriend. And they again turned back towards the city. Now, on a side note, Sharon, she had no idea Adahan was a bank robber. So this must have been a bit of a what the fuck are you doing moment for her. Anyway, as the slow procession of now 39 police cars, police helicopter and the lot made its way down the hill to the spit bridge, they had to stop. Also to join the 39 police cars, as I said, we had ambulances, news crews, we had all the news helicopters. There were now four water police launchers in attendance. Traffic from behind was blocked off and banking up. Police had ordered the bridge to be open to block the 180B. Adahan told Graham Stewart to turn around and ran through the police cars acting as a barricade. Now, the police told the engineer that raised the bridge not to let it back down. The problem is that if it's kept up for an extended time, the mechanism will overheat, fail and the bridge will fall. But, mm, you just got to take the chance sometime. So being blocked off, Adahan's decided we're going to turn around. Adahan screamed at police that they would have to kill him if they wanted him. Adahan then tells Graham, turn around, ran past the police cars forming a blockade at the other end of the spit bridge. Now this was never going to end well. Viewers across Sydney were watching the events unfold live on TV. It was just amazing. Eventually, as the Datsun approached the first police barricade, they were able to get through it. As he drove back up the steep hill of Manly Road, 
a second police blockade was not going to let him through. With a police sniper at the back of the car pointing his M16 towards the back window of the car, another policeman with a service pistol was pointing from the rear driver's side window. Adahan, who was in the front passenger seat, then came face to face with Detective Senior Constable Steve Canellis, who leaned in the driver's side window with his shotgun. Canellis told Adahan that he was fucked and to give up. Without warning, Adahan fired his .32 caliber pistol, hitting Canellis right between the eyes. Instantly, Detective Senior Constable Donald Packer fired one shot at Adahan through the rear driver's side window, while Detective Sergeant John Nagel fired a shot through the back window with his M16. Adahan was hit in the head and chest and died. Graeme Stewart, the bank manager in the driver's seat, got shot in the leg, and another of the hostages, Steve Lamb, also sustained a minor gunshot wound from bullet fragments. As Adahan was struck, he fired off one last shot that luckily missed everyone and blew a hole in the roof. Police quickly dragged everyone out of the car, including Adahan's shocked girlfriend. As I said, he had, she had no idea where his apparent wealth had come from. She didn't know he was robbing banks. She ended up telling reporters later, I believed it was by no means his first bank robbery, but I knew nothing about what was going on. I had no idea why he did it. He said something about doing it for his daughter. Now, as Detective Senior Constable Steve Canellis lay on the ground with blood streaming from his nose and mouth, he'd had difficulty breathing. The bullet had entered the top of his nose, penetrated the side of his neck and lodged in the right side of his shoulder. Now, luckily for him, a doctor, Carl Hughes, well, he'd been held up in traffic. He quickly attended to him and was able to assist in keeping him alive. He had experience in gunshot wounds and positioned the injured canalis in such a way so that the blood would not enter his trachea and lungs. Dr Hughes said that if Constable Canalis had been allowed to lie on his back where attempts had been made to place him, he would have died without question. Detective Senior Constable Stephen Canalis will be awarded a commendation for bravery medal on the 6th of September 1985. So Adahan was dead. He was slumped onto the passenger side seat. Police would drag him out and he lay in a pool of blood on the road. It was about 8pm at this stage, five hours after the initial bank robbery. When police investigated Adahan, they linked him to 16 other bank robberies from March 1983 up to early January. And as I said before, when I listed out the robberies he'd done, he would often do them one after the other. I guess to keep police busy at one location while hitting the other, and then he would ditch his disguise and blend into the crowd. Now, he always carried some sort of firearm, and at at times he would behave in a violent manner. Although it wasn't until the final bank, the Commonwealth Bank, that he fired the weapon. Of these other 16 robberies, he amassed a total of 
$822. At his two rented properties, they found receipts for only $29,383 worth of goods and bank accounts with a total balance of $467.67. I mean, where's a bank robber going to keep his money? Probably not in the bank. Anyway, the other money must have been spent on girls, gambling, fast cars, his luxury penthouse, and I think the rest he just wasted. They also found a diary which showed a little bit of insight into, into the mind of Adahan, who described himself as the world's greatest bank robber. He wrote that he laundered his money at the races, changing large denominations for small ones. He said he wanted to increase the known amount in his hand by increasing to play. I don't know, that must be a gambling term to, I'll put on a few bucks here, I win a few bucks back, that's where I earn my money. Mm, don't know. He was concerned that his constant presence at the racetrack, which included not only horse races, but the trots and greyhound races, well, he was a bit concerned, so he'd wear sunglasses and a hat, disguises that he wore during his robberies. He wrote that he was offended. Now, we all get offended now, but this is back in 1984. People got offended back then too. Anyway, he wrote that he was offended by scenes of intimacy on TV or films. Yet, he boasted about paying a girl 500 bucks to fuck him. He said, humans, being what they are, have a blend of bad and good. So I guess mm, he can go out and do what he wants, but he might be offended by something on the telly. He also talked about the devil and was angered by what he thought was anti-Turkish media. He was looking forward to returning to Turkey, describing it as my country Turkey, its soil, its water, woods, rivers. This is my home. It will not change. Look, out of hand was just a narcissistic failure of a man. He gambled, lost his business, he lost his family, and the only way he could see himself getting the things he wanted in life was to steal them. Granted, for about a year, he did live the high life, and he became famous or infamous. I mean, shit, he even felt a bit of a hero as he led a procession of police, ambulance, news crews all around Sydney, while being cheered by onlookers and viewed by thousands of people on live TV. But that arrogance, that five hours in the spotlight, cost him his life and nearly cost others their lives. Really, it was his dog day afternoon. At least physically, all of the hostages recovered well. Just Graham Stewart, although fully recovered, he still has the bullet lodged in his shoulder. Now, I'll finish the episode with something Adahan wrote in his diary. He wrote, My profession is bank stealing and I am the best. There is no power going to stop me. Yeah, Timmy, nothing like the power of an M16, mate. Adahan, he was just 35 years old. I'd just like to say, I gathered all the info today. I normally do this at the start, but I'll do it at the end today. I gathered all the info today from the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age Newspapers of the Day from my newspapers.com subscription, thanks to my Patreon supporters and, of course, PayPal people. 
But you may also watch, and this is what I said on the, about the TV, it's called Murder, Lies and Alibis. It's by the Nine Network in Australia. Now, this covers the whole story in one of the episodes, and it's only recent, so they've got, they catch up with some of the hostages and, and the stuff. Okay, now, if you're in another country, you may not be able to get the Nine Now app on Android or Apple phones. I'm not saying if you've got a VPN, it'll work, so I have no idea. But it is quite an interesting episode to watch, and I did use it to verify a couple of little details. Now, a couple of details actually are are funny because it's all reported as on the day of the uh, dog day afternoon, some people are saying the State Bank was the first one, some were saying the ANZ Bank was the second one, and then it goes on the Commonwealth Bank. Other people say the ANZ was first and the State Bank was second. Some say that the bank employer that followed him with the police was from the ANZ Bank. Other people say it's from the state. So if you know any better, that's good, but it doesn't really matter, those first two banks at the start of the show. Uh, It was more the Commonwealth Bank, which was the big one. So as I've mentioned in the last few episodes... I've got the YouTube channel. It'll be getting a proper hard launch in the new year. So please feel free, feel free to subscribe. Now I've got a little bit of content up there just as placeholders. It's just some audio stuff. But uh, yeah, big hard launch in the new year for the video channel. So now onto the Patreons for this week. We have Keith Zontz who upped his pledge. Thanks so much, Keith. I'll be sending you some stickers out actually at the end of the month. We have Corey Seadogs who signed up. Thanks so much, Corey, for your support. Thanks so much to all present and past Patreon supporters of the island. It really does make a difference. As you know, True Crime Island is a totally listener-supported podcast. I keep it ad-free. I know you don't like it. I don't want to deal with them. If you want to support the island financially for as little as a dollar a month, you too can become a patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash true crime island and check out the levels and the rewards if you don't want to do a monthly payment you can buy me a beer at paypal.me forward slash true crime island don't forget if you are due a reward i will email you to confirm the reward and your shipping address so please check your inbox get back to me so i can sort it all out also, you can support the island by getting hold of some merch, such as T-shirts, hoodies, beach towels. I've just ordered a beach towel and wait for it to come. And fantastic tote bags. Of course, my favourite all the time is the Mugget Rage. They're all available from truecrimeisland.threadless.com. Remember, listeners, please don't order the black mugs until further notice. Now, I will have a limited edition shirt by a new promotions company. The way it works is the design will go up for a limited time. Everybody can have a look. If they want to order it, they can put in a pre-order. Once that time expires, orders are closed, and then the items are produced and shipped. I think this might actually be a better way going forward into next year. I do have keychains, lapel pins, stickers. If you need, you've got to contact me directly for that. This can be done by emailing me, cambo at truecrimeisland.com. Also, that's the best way to contact me personally, for anything else, such as case requests or just to say boom fuck I do get lost a little bit in the Facebook and Instagram and uh, Twitter messaging systems. Now, you don't have to spend money to support the island. You can also rate and review, tell your friends, 
family and workmates about the island, if they don't know how to tune in, show them. Because if they don't like my show or the way I do it, there's plenty of other shows out there, plenty of other genres. They might find something else they like. You can search for True Crime Island on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Join the closed group on Facebook if you want. Now, this week we do have a promo for Minna of True Crime Finland. Almost like True Crime Island, but up in the snow in the north. The land of the midnight sun has a darker side not many know of, she says. This podcast aims to explore Finnish crimes and criminals, both well-known and forgotten. So that promo will be at the end of the show. Don't forget to listen to that. Check out her podcast if you like. Fantastic. So that's about it for the show tonight. It's lots of love to Maggie James, and I've been your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Boom, bakalanga. This is Minna from True Crime Finland. Ah, Finland, so peaceful and quiet. There isn't even any crime there, right? Wrong. Join me every two weeks in discovering the dark side of the land of a thousand lakes. From the legendary and infamous to the lesser known and forgotten cases, find True Crime Finland wherever you get your podcasts.